I mean, I don't mind having something for my butthole. That may feel nice. And welcome <laughs> to the Down in Front Podcast, the official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com. Here, what we do is we review movies, TV, just about anything and everything you can think of that's nerdy. So we're super pumped. We're excited for you tonight. We will review in solo a Star Wars story. Uh, it's going to be star, you know, directed by Ron Howard, you know, starring Woody Harrelson, Junis Sua Tamo, uh, Emilia Clark, Donald Glover, and Alden Aaron Reich. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that correctly. Boom. Killed it. So what we normally do is that we're going to be sitting back, reviewing a movie, um, reviewing something for you, having a drink, and just talking about what we've been watching before we get into our actual review. So I'm going to toss it over to one of my best friends. I, I, I miss him. I love his smell, and I hope that we can hang out more. Mr. Brylan, the mouth of the South. How's it going, man? It's going well. How are you doing this evening? Very well. Thank you. Um, uh, the NBA Finals is on, and then Westworld's on after that, so it's going to be a good night. So I'm pretty pretty pumped about that. But uh, what you been watching? Uh, what you drinking? Uh, tonight, I'm keeping it safe, so I'm just taking shots of water. Good old H2O out of my big thermos. So water is really good for you and healthy. Um, what I've been watching recently, I decided to tune in and watch the documentary on John McCain on HBO. It's called John McCain for whom the bell tolls. Uh, and this is kind of less of a documentary and more kind of like a living memoriam for him just because he has brain cancer. There will be very, probably very soon in time that he passes away. So it was really interesting to see that, uh, he and all of his friends got together to make this. And it's kind of weird. People take it different ways. And so there is a bias. I mean, it is all about John McCain and his life. And it, I found it to be a really interesting, um, character study on him. Uh, they definitely go through his career warts and all from being a POW in Vietnam to uh, the Keating five incident or his runs for president. And I mean, he's and what's nice is that he's always been like kind of someone that doesn't beat around the bush. So if he, if he messes up, he says, yeah, this is the wrong thing. And I mean, if, if you're looking back and you know, like you're, time is up it's really interesting to see someone just be like hey i'm just gonna lay it all out there and tell you how i feel about everything so i found it to be very interesting and it's really cool to see that um he's a really interesting politician because um he's definitely someone that could reach across party lines and bring people together uh, i mean his two best friends joe lieberman and joe biden uh, definitely are in this and speak highly of them. They have former presidents talking about how, even though you may have not liked the opinions of John McCain, that he was always someone that you could talk to and find some type of compromise to get things done. So, uh, and it's always really interesting because he is a military guy that came from a military family and uh, one of their big things that his father and his grandfather taught him was go with your gut instincts on any decision you make in life. And uh, it's really interesting to see when he gets into politics, even though he tries to stay true to that gut instinct choice, that even with the political machinations that are around him, that that sometimes gets compromised as well. Like he even looks back at uh, running against Obama and says like, you know what? I should have taken Joe Lieberman as my running mate, even if the Republican national convention would not accept him. That's probably be the right thing to do rather than Sarah Palin. 
uh, or for the Keating Five, which was a, a um, embezzlement issue back in the seventies. That he is like, yeah, I worked with this guy. This guy gave me money for my campaign. Nothing was shady under the table, but it was a bad choice that I made. And is refreshing to hear this from a politician that he's not trying to beat around the bush or gloss it over with any uh, language to say um, it might be or isn't make it kind of ambiguous that he's just like straight up like this was a bad thing I did. This was a good thing I did. And I appreciate it, even if you don't agree with it. So I really enjoyed it. It was a really interesting documentary of him. Nice. I mean, that sounds like super cool. I'm sure that a lot of people, especially right now, will probably be into that one now. And I think a lot of good, more and more, um, like better content is coming up on HBO now. So, or HBO. So that sounds pretty cool. Yep. With, uh, we're going to toss it all the way over to uh, the beautiful, beautiful state of New York. We have the handsome, the amazing Mocha Mike here with us. Mike, what you drinking and what you been watching? Hey, yo, what's up, everybody? I'm glad to be here. Um, keep it pretty, pretty simple tonight. Um, what I'm drinking is a nice little beer called National Bohemian. Uh, my roommate is from Maryland. Every time he goes back home, he grabs me those beers because they're pretty popular down there. Um, but yeah, it's a good old Natty bow. That's what I'm slamming down tonight. And as for what I've been watching, I recently watched in theaters the film First Reformed. Um, I'm not sure if any of you guys here have like had heard about this movie before it came out. It completely flew under the radar for me. I only found it because I was like scrolling through Movie Pass to see like what movies were out that I just could just go see. Um, but it stars Ethan Hawke, and it is about a former soldier um, who becomes a pastor after losing his son to the Iraq War and his wife leaving him, and who has an encounter with a an environmentalist extremist who sort of changes his worldview on what's like how somebody in his position, someone within the church, should be treating the world around him. And this sort of spirals into a culmination of his loneliness and depression um, meeting with a suddenly like lifted veil on the hypocrisy of the church that he works for and kind of like spirals into a pretty dark place. Um, it was a really interesting film, definitely kind of heady and something worth watching and talking to people about. I'm not going to talk too much about how the movie goes because it's, it's kind of spoilery. But um, it was very somber and kind of creepy and gave a really cool insight into what radicalization can look like when it's not just, you know, a stereotypical person out in the Middle East in a country being bombed. Like, what are some of the things that can push somebody to, towards radicalization wherever they are in the world? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was an interesting flick and I'm glad I caught it when I had the chance. Nice. Yeah, I know. I tried to, uh, and you, we had talked about this before, <clears throat> and I tried to actually find that movie here in Boston, but I think only like maybe one or two theaters had it. Uh, and one of the ones were like three times, and that was the Boston Common, and they were already like not having like prime, prime time uh, viewing. So it's kind of a bummer. So, yeah, cool. um, I mentioned this to you guys before, but one of the big benefits of living in New York City is that when it comes to film, I get access to everything. Um, so it was, you know, I'm looking forward to taking advantage of stuff like movie pass to see more movies like this that, you know, people in little uh, podunk towns like Boston don't get the chance to see. <laughs> uh, I'm not uh, laughing. Oh, no, that <laughs> wasn't funny. Yankees suck. Well, 
Oh, whoa, hold on, hold on. Let's hey, not talk. Let's not get in. Let's not get into sports. So I get personal now. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mocha, it's always to see your beautiful face. And uh, we took a poll again, and you ranked number two uh, again. <laughs> Weird. Uh, the most handsome uh, down in front podcast member. So good, good stuff, man. It could have been worse. Yes. I wasn't even. I wasn't even on the list. So second place is the first loser. Exactly. Number one. Number Some, one. Somehow Guillermo keeps winning. I'm not sure how. It's weird. <laughs> uh, let's toss it over to uh, the guy who's back in Massachusetts, and he shreds your heart to pieces. Uh, Mike, the shredder. How's it going, man? What you been uh, watching? What you drinking? It's weird, because that is going to be the name of my first solo album, uh, Shreds Your Heart to Pieces. <laughs> and it's just me <laughs> playing the guitar for an hour and a half straight uh, with no accompaniment. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> the album art is just a cheese grater. <laughs> <laughs> when does it stop? <laughs> oh, God, why did I start listening to this? Um, no, I'm, I'm not doing too bad at all. I, uh, I, I haven't really been watching, but, you know, uh, more listening to the uh, go-between between Drake and Pusha T. That has pretty much <laughs> occupied all of my free time in the recent, uh, you know, days. Um, I would say for visually, you know, appealing to me, um, intervention that I haven't been home, honestly, in like three or four days at this point. And the only show that I've watched is reruns from 10 years ago of intervention. And I can safely say that I've seen a whole (laughs) lot of people do heroin, you know, from that and needles still not for me. So mom, I'm not going to do heroin because I really don't like needles neither before nor after. Um, what was I gonna say? The shows, the shows, intervention and hoarders remain my guiltiest pleasures. I could Oof. watch and rewatch that show over and over and over. As an hoarders. epilogue, I think the only other thing besides intervention that I've watched uh, is Arrested Development. I'm continuing on. I watched like three seconds of the new season and was like, haha. I don't. I still don't know what's going on. So I went back and I'm watching like the recut version. Like I'm just gonna finish it out. And to Brian, your point from last time we talked about this. Uh, it works way better the way they initially had it. I'm like three fourths of the way through, and like they, they reveal the punchline to jokes in sequential order, so there's no build up whatsoever. And I I thoroughly no. prefer the original way they presented it, however slow that first you know went through. Like the the first half of the season <clears throat> is pretty much nonsense. It just prepares you for the second half. Um, as for what yeah, I'm, yeah, I finished season five and recently and i put up a little blurb on instagram and i think you're probably doing the right thing by watching season four again because i was completely lost oh yeah no i i i got three seconds in i was like ha no <laughs> and so i, I just went up and went and finished it um so as for what i'm drinking i'm drinking rebel ipa by sam adams i figure if we're gonna do a podcast about one of the most famous rebels in Rebel Alliance history might as well be topical. Uh, that's my new thing for the past like three or four weeks, and I hope that my recommendations are on point. Uh, this one, I've had it before. It's solid, and uh, try it out if you're in the Boston uh, area. And is tropical because it has like summer and Lindy, like, is it lemon in it? Is it tropical? No, it's, it's boldly hopped and Thanos. I mean, balanced. it's got full Thanos body to it (laughs) perfectly balanced hops as all things should be well 
Blue, it's always uh, great to see you, and it's great to hear you, so I'm excited for you, and I'm really excited to get the majority of uh, your thoughts on the music, and uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later, because um, me and Derek have been chatting up a bunch about the score. Uh, my name is Warren. I will be your host this evening. Uh, what I am currently drinking right now is the Narragansett Dell Shandies. Yep. Uh, pretty delicious. Nothing new. Uh, and it's amazing. Don't shake your head. It's delicious. You don't don't shake your head, Bryla. I didn't I didn't I didn't judge you. You're drinking water for like the second week straight. So shut up. Okay. <laughs> um, and I actually had a chance to watch a bunch of stuff. So I actually just recently um, took a look and started watching the Spawn, uh, which is on HBL right now, actually on the Amazon Prime, the animated series. Uh, I didn't. I am not going to go back and watch the movie. Uh, but the animated series I remember watching when I was a kid, <clears throat> and I'm just trying to see how it holds up because they're they they already announced that movie that's coming out. Um, that Todd McFarlane is actually going to be directing. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, if he's going to draw any ideas from the TV show, which is about 18 episodes, I believe, um, or not. So uh, I think it's actually three seasons, but we'll see. Um, so I've been kind of catching it up for that. Um, I finally got a chance to watch uh, The Florida Project. It's on Amazon Prime. Has anybody else seen this movie? I have not. I, I watched it on the plane during my last trip. Okay. <laughs> It's um, a rare movie where Willem Dafoe is actually a good person. No, he's not. But oh, darn it. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I don't think so, he's a bad person, though. Yeah, yes. He, so quick hot takes. Qu- a couple quick points is I'm not sure why people were raving about this movie. Um, you don't like any of the characters. Willem Dafoe is a terrible enabler throughout the entire movie and literally does nothing to step in and help out the child <laughs> the entire time in a, a like verbally and just terrible scenario and situation that's happening <clears throat> and how it unfolds. But overall, you just are not meant to like any of the characters and it's more of like a slice of life that's happening with it. And I, I'm just confused why everybody thought this was an Oscar nomination for Willem Dafoe and why this should have been an Oscar nomination for the movie of the year. I fully agree with you. Um, I liked the movie. I actually, I, I thought it was a good movie um, and I enjoyed it. But I thought Willem Dafoe's performance was just kind of like standard good like acting. Like it was wasn't anywhere near what I would have expected for an Oscar nomination. Who should have gotten the Oscar nomination was the little girl. I can't remember the actress's name right now. Yeah, that's a good point. But she was she's like six years old or something like that, or seven or seven years old, and she was absolutely incredible. Yeah, and the sure. range of the of emotions that she brought to it and how real she made it feel was beyond what a lot of the like adult actors in that same movie could do. So absolutely. Yeah, I think she was the only, and I'm going to find her name a little bit later, but I think she was the only person, uh, I'll take that back, that's the only person that I actually liked in the movie because she was the victim in the movie. Um, and she just kind of went and rolled with the punches, and she was super resilient, but still kind of dealt with the shit that was given to her, like shitty hand um, that was 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 dealt to her. So, <clears throat> I, But everything else about the movie, it really, really irritated me. Um, and then I watched it, and I was like, why was everybody raving about this movie? I'm not sure why. So that's the Florida Project. That's actually on Amazon Prime right now. Definitely go check that out. And then if I'm wrong, come holler at me. But you're going to be wrong anyway. Uh, and then the last one that I want to talk about is I saw Downsizing, starring Matt Damon. Uh, does anybody else see this movie? Matt you know, I kind of wanted to I see have it, not, but I just I didn't. No. I heard yeah. it was one of the more slept-upon movies from last year. I... You know, and I definitely think because last- I went back and uh, I think it was last year. Yeah. Oh, maybe the year before uh, I went back and looked at, you know, the trailer and the way that they made this movie seem like it was a comedy that's going to star really Matt Damon and oh crap. What's her name? She's from Saturday Night Live. 
Um, Kristen Wiig. Wiig. Yeah, Kristen Wiig. And it was going to be from them. And, you know, uh, on the premise of the movie is, you know, they're downsizing because of, you know, there's overpopulation and there has to be a balance. Uh, But there has to basically they're trying to figure out how um, to uh, minimize the amount of waste and everything that's actually happening. So people would shrink themselves um, down and they'll live in like other communities scenarios and things like that. Um, but this movie took a huge turn that I really, really enjoyed. And I like what the movie was trying to do. And I like how the movie like kind of portrayed it. And they co- it completely like goes away from whatever the trailers were, were mentioning. So I thought that was pretty cool. But I don't know if pe- a lot of people are going to like that movie. Because I think they really went to go see this movie between Matt Damon and Kristen Wiig. And that's not the movie you get. You could but, see uh, that in the trailers, though, that it was going to take a more serious route. Like, hmm. I, you watch the trailers and you're like, oh, this, I mean, is, this isn't going to be a funny movie about people being small. Enjoy, um, shoot. So, I, need to look at, I need to watch the trailer again, but I was like, oh, but it was a pleasantly surprised movie. I, I actually don't know if they're streaming that anywhere. Um, I saw it on a plane, on American Airlines plane, so um, definitely can go if you can, go check that out. I'm sure it's going to be uh, available for rent or DVD or something like that. So, hashtag that American Airlines. Uh, hashtag in-flight movie. <laughs> it's gonna be our new market. No, I mean that'd be great, but I, don't, I, don't, I, I doubt. I highly doubt. Uh, yeah. So you know that's what we've been watching and what we've been drinking. So we are going to get into our full review. The way that we're broken it up tonight, we're going to be talking about the acting and the casting, as well along with the kind of the music and the score. Uh, and so the last thing we're going to talk about the plot and you know the universe and the world building as well. So we are excited. We are pumped. What we're going to do is take a quick commercial break and we'll be back for you and we're going to do a full actual review spoilers and all of solo a star wars story so we see you soon back and we are the down in front podcast here i am with brylin mocha blew it and we are going to be reviewing solo a star wars film now if you haven't seen the movie for right now i would say pause the recording definitely go watch it and pick up right where you left off there will be some things that we will be spoiling out of the gate and there's some things that you definitely want to make sure that you don't know um at least about this movie because it may ruin it for you so without further ado uh, I'm going to toss it over, and we're going to be talking a bit about the acting and the casting. And Brylin, start us off with uh, what are you some wins and some losses, and just everything that you think about the acting and casting of Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with um, the big characters in this movie. So uh, there's a lot of talk before this movie came out that uh, Alden Ironreich, the guy they got to play Solo, didn't look the part didn't look like harrison ford and despite their differences in bone structure and their facial features i think alden ehrenreich actually knocked it out of the park with his characterization mannerisms of han solo is pretty cool to have him be kind of this younger han solo that still has that brash roguishness and charm that harrison ford brought to the role but it's also a little 
uh, less refined than what Harrison Ford was going for. So you see, like, he's kind of just learning how to be um, the person he wants to be and what that is. He's on a uh, he's on a journey of self discovery, and I think he does a really great job of portraying that character and um, and like. The way that people fell in love with Han Solo in A New Hope. I mean, you kind of fall in love with Han Solo all over again in this movie. Um, he has some great people to play off of, uh, especially Donald Glover's Lando, who's pretty much the personification embodiment. If you took Billy D. Williams and just um, regressed his age by 40 years, you would have this Lando Calrissian, which is awesome. And especially like in his mannerisms and word pronunciation. So how he calls Han Han, I really appreciate that, but we kind of find out that he's mispronouncing it, kind of get a rise out of Han Solo. And it's like, they have this bit of a banter and connection. That's like, Hey, we're going to compete against one another. And we kind of don't like one another, but we respect each other on a certain level, which I appreciated. And uh, the guy that plays Chewbacca does a really good job, which, I mean, that's a, that's a role that uh, don't really have many talking parts except for Chewbacca's growls and everything. But he has those uh, physical mannerisms that you expect out of Chewbacca that Peter Mayhew made so famous in the first one. So I feel like that uh, works really well in this movie. It's hard is like that growing friendship of Han and Chewbacca. Um, aside from the three big characters, I, I think there's a lot of uh, side characters that do a good job. Specifically, Woody Harrelson as Tobias, this reluctant uh, mentor to Han Solo, and kind of like the guy that Han Solo starts to learn what it is to be a smuggler, what it is to kind of be this. Um, self-reliant individual that uh goes through the galaxy not choosing a side or anything but you're just in it for yourself and i think he does a really good job of embodying that um this movie also reminded me that paul bettany as uh as he does someone like vision where he brings an android that's usually lifeless a bit of heart to it uh he can also be a very scary creepy dude and also charming at the same time and i really liked his character of Voss, how he's just like able to flip on a switch. Hey, this is about business. Let's talk business. But then all of a sudden he's just like, Oh, you just crossed me. I'm going to be ruthless as hell. And you can't get out of this because that's the type of person I am. And so I think he made for a really great villain, uh, in this. Other than that, uh, I thought like some, there was some opportunities, uh, with, uh, Amelia Clark's character. I felt, I was just feeling like she was, Reading her lines like she reads Daenerys, she's solid. But I mean, was there really some specific uh, unique personality to Kira? Not necessarily. She just kind of was there to be like that first girl that kind of gives Han Solo some motivation to um, to fight for what he believes in. And um, I thought that the character of Emphis Nest was kind of heavy-handed at the end when we reveal that she's someone that's fighting for her uh, home and wants to get in the empire's way any way possible. Um, but uh, she is actually a very visually cool character from her armor and everything. But when she takes off her helmet, she's also a very unique looking uh, individual as well, which I thought was really cool. Uh, and then there's some bit characters they got. They got some really good actors to play some bit 
parts like John Favreau and Tandy Newton. I really appreciated that. Uh, these big characters, they even had their moments where you kind of, you care about them just because these actors know how to bring, uh, some personality to those characters, even if it's just some brief moments. I mean, I really liked Val. I really liked, uh, Rio, even though he's CG created John Favreau did a great job of adding that, uh, personality to him. I would say that, you know, the Junus Suotamo, he's the same character. He's the same Chewbacca from, you know, episode seven and episode eight. So it's nice to that they've, you know, they've kept that uh, and they visually changed that. Chewbacca doesn't have any more gray hair as far as much more like a brown or more full colored sort of, uh, sort of fur. So I thought that was pretty cool for them to see that. And even his introduction, I thought that was pretty cool. So I'm uh, good on that. And I'm surprised just going off of a couple uh things, Brylin, that people were complaining about uh, this guy not looking like Harrison Ford, but I don't think he's supposed to look like Harrison Ford that much. I mean, he should resemble him, but not exactly look like a younger version of Harrison Ford. So I think that's kind of stupid, but people are, yeah. dumb, I guess. Yeah. That was like the initial reaction. When they first, when the first trailer comes, I was like, "This guy doesn't look like Harrison Ford. This is gonna be terrible." And I did think it was the I same was guy from Baby totally, Driver, though. Yeah, the, they do have that similarity in their names. Um, the la- oh. the only other movie I saw Alden Ehrenreich in was uh, Hail Caesar, Coen Brothers film. He has one part where he is freaking hilarious in as this dumb cowboy actor uh, trying to do something else. And I was like, this guy's going to be in some things and he's going to be a big star. And I'm glad he got this role. Nice. Uh, Blue, you say something? Yeah. So funny enough, I thought Peter Mayhew played uh, Chewbacca in episode seven. Definitely. Think wasn't. for the close-ups. Yeah. Yeah. So Not for the walking around. It's funny because like, you know, for a guy that's, seven feet tall it's kind of impressive that he had the career that he has like usually your body breaks down when you're that big uh so i mean kudos uh for mayhew and and i thought that the transition was seamless um even though chewbacca was not used that much in episode eight um couple things to unpack there i i think that uh i totally agree with you Bryland, on amelia clark I think that Game of Thrones, due to its subject matter and uh, directing, really, really covers some of the actors and actresses like absolute terribleness. Like Amelia Clark and Sophie Turner cannot act. They just cannot act. I honestly, even I think Kit Harrington is not a good actor. And they put they somehow the casting directors put them in roles that they just absolutely shine in because that's what the role demands. Um, yep. Have you seen Seven Days in Hell? Uh, no, no, no. I hear that's good though. I hear that's good. I, you yeah. should watch it. I think that would give you more respect for Kit Harrington. <laughs> really? I, again, like yeah. it just seems it seems like a lot of these a lot of the people they get in Game of Thrones besides like a few of them are like not that great, but they just put them in absolute perfect roles. They're like the freaking Patriots of the TV shows where like they take everyone else's scraps and just put them in perfect roles that they just succeed in. Um, And Amelia Clark proved that again. She's not a very good actress. Her storyline basically is just like, dude, like you're either going to die or do something that Han doesn't like you for anymore. So like, why do I care about this relationship? Um, as far as Han Solo goes, um, 
he kind of killed it as much as I, it pains me to, to say this. He, he had <laughs> like the, the look, I don't really care. That didn't really matter, but like his, his mannerisms and his vocalization was spot on. Like they, uh, I remember reading a story about how they had to bring an accent coach in, but it's like, dude, you're trying to impersonate someone who's still alive. Like, yeah, get an accent coach in there. Cause that's hard to do. Like he was in a movie two years ago in star Wars. Like that's, that's what you have to follow up. So yeah. I think that was, that was fine. Um, I don't think my gripes with this movie comes down to that casting. Like he did well with what he needed to do. Um, you said something interesting, and this is the last point on really casting that I want to have uh, is the whole like um, Infus Nest side no. story. Kind of, I kind of hated the fact that like that was. The, like Han Solo was part of the the start of the rebellion, but I really liked the character. I don't. He wasn't quite start of it yeah. though. Oh he yeah, I don't think that's he totally sure was. No, he no, made sure that he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. The, yeah. the, no, no, I don't they, even think they're implying that. Yes, I think they're they implying someone that's standing up against the Empire for the first time, not necessarily the rebellion as we know. Yeah, it. but come on, yeah. where do you think that's, that's going? Like. Like right I mean, between the lines. Yeah, it, it's a it's a heavy foreshadow just dropped in your lap. But is this where the rebellion, as we know it in the New Hope, starts? Well, yeah. the thing about the rebellion Maybe. is that is that in in terms of Star Wars lore, it started as just a bunch of different pockets of people fighting yeah. back against the Empire when they could, and it didn't really become a collect like a, a unified rebellion until Mon Mothma, um, right. like abandoned the Senate and right. decided to lead them. Yeah, so it's. I think it's more of just a seed for what's going on in the galaxy, as opposed to like the actual beginning of the rebellion itself. But but still, it was it was Nerds. definitely like a little bit of like like clearly. Oh, it's definitely. If this it's movie a made seed rebellion, to plants. <laughs> if this movie made more money, they would like this movie. I think what tripled its production costs. I think it's at four five hundred million right now, and I think it was one fifty was the production costs. Um, I think I, I, I'm pretty sure, but like, so they're definitely going to make more along the lines of this film. You know, they're, they're going to make anthology films that relate to this particular storyline. And I think that casting a relative unknown for Enfys Nest gives you control over that actress's abilities. And I think that they, they will transition that into the start of the rebellion. So and I, I, from a, a storyline perspective, I kind of hated the fact that he was there for the start of it. Uh, but the character itself was freaking cool. The armor was cool. The, the motivation was really cool. The whole part about like the tongues getting cut off and like the reveal at the end was like awesome. Her signature weapon being like, so not a lightsaber, but like this weird, like a uh, vibro blade almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. That like that was a cool weapon, and uh, I even like the reveal that uh, sh it was a, is a woman. Like the entire film, you you expected it to be man, and I loved the reveal yeah. that it was some chick. Um, not only I, a woman, but she's kind of a child too. Yeah, diminutive in stature. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say this: that I I'm actually kind of excited to see where they'll go with that character. Um, that I think that you could transition her into 
you know, I think, what is it, 10 years before A New Hope is this movie? Um, yeah. So I think that you could you could age and her BBY. up. What? No, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, before the Battle of Yavin, for those who don't know. Um, and so I think you could age the character up, and I'm actually kind of excited to see where, who that character is. Because I think the Star Wars, you can't be stupid like Episode Eight and like have nothing matter. I think that Emphist uh, Nest will become someone who is, you know, in love from the original trilogy. And it'll be cool to, like, subtly fill in their backstory, which would have been nice if that's what Solo was about. But it's not because it didn't subtly fill anyone's backstory in. You're going to have Admiral Steve Nest in episode <laughs> nine. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like, it's like she goes in uh, into, like, a sex change and become a crustacean and she's Admiral Akbar. <laughs> Like that oh would gosh. be not, that would be nuts, you know. That takes a little bit more than sex, but I feel yeah. you. No, that's what I mean. I mean that's like a, that's she a, sex change, change and and she becomes a crustacean. Like that's no, like I I think it'd be interesting. Like I honestly, as soon as it was revealed that it was a woman, I expected her to say her name was like either Mon Matha or um, ooh, what was oh, Bale's oh, wife name? Wife's name? Uh, who? Bale Organa. Bale Organa's. We never learn what that is. It'd be Cindy. Cindy <laughs> but it'd be cool Sad. if like if she'd name drop someone that was like Bale's wife. You know, like it'd be it'd be interesting if they came back to that and made her someone who was an integral part of the rebellion. Like I, I think that's where it'll end up going. Um and I'm kind of excited to see where that character goes in the future. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to Mocha and we continue to talk about Solo, a Star Wars movie. Uh, Mocha, what you got? So (laughs) in terms of like the characters and the acting, my overall feeling for this movie as a whole, but also for the that, but also applies to the casting and the acting is just an overwhelming feeling of okayness. Um, I was very okay with everything. And I feel like the casting was pretty okay all around, with a few exceptions that were actually, in my opinion, inspired. Um, Alden Third Reich was like, he <laughs> grew on me as the movie went on. Come on. on. <laughs> he grew on me as the movie like, progressed. Uh, I didn't care for him too much at first, but he really, I felt like he really did find his way into a really solid impersonation of Harrison Ford as Han Solo. Um, and I kind of bought it as to, as the movie went on and grew to like him more and more. Um, Donald Glover was also a perfect casting for Lando, though. For for him though, I found his his impersonation of of Billy D. Williams to be inconsistent. Um, there were moments where, when Donald Glover got the the uh, the Lando voice down, it was like transcendent. It was it was Billy yeah. D. Williams. It was Lando Calrissian, and it was super impressive. But I also feel like throughout the course of the movie. I heard every single character that Donald Glover has ever, ever ever played. I heard Donald Glover from Community. I heard Donald Glover from Atlanta. I heard Donald. I heard uh, Childish Gambino. Like like each different voice popped up at. Did you times. hear Bro Rape though? <laughs> Lest you forget about Derek Comedy. That's so good. That's true. That's true. I did Put not some hear Jack Johnson. Rape, and a two foot black dildo. <laughs> But um, but yeah. So I felt like his performance was inconsistent. It, but like when it was on, it was better than I could have hoped for. Um, it transported me right back into Empire Strikes Back. Um, it's like a closet of capes. 
<laughs> yeah, it's closet full of capes. Um, correct me if I'm part. wrong, but the cape that uh, didn- that um Kira is trying on when Han comes to accost her <laughs> in the changing room, that's the same cape that he's wearing in Empire, right? Yeah, it's the one from cape. Bespin. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah, lots of capes, including some custom pieces. But um, as for the other characters, for me, the most all of the most interesting characters were killed off at first chance, in my opinion. Um, yes. I was super interested in Val. She was this like roguish sapper who clearly had a badass personality and could take care of herself. Rio was super fun and had like a great voice and a great personality brought to life by John Favreau. Um, you know, L337, even though I have some issues with her character, she was still like the one droid and droids are always interesting to have around. And I feel like all the interesting characters got knocked off right away in order for us to have a movie that was about like the three least interesting characters and, and Chewie. Um, I yeah. like Chewie was awesome in this movie. He was great. And I love everything they did with this character, but Han Solo himself, um, but especially Tobias Beckett and Kira were just super bland um, and kind of cookie cutter in some ways and just not as interesting as everyone else that was there. Um, I would have loved to have seen um, Tobias Beckett and Val's roles switched. Like if, if yeah, Val was Val Beckett or whatever, and Tobias was the one who sacrifices himself in the beginning, and she's the hardened <laughs> badass who like you know pushes up past her emotions and goes on with her with her mission. Like I would have been, I would have been more interested in that character. Um, I think that would have been, that, that would have been even even more impactful though. Just to be honest, I I think that would have been pretty cool to see. Tandy Newton's an amazing actress, so you know she, she can is. pull it off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I wish I could have seen more of those those characters, but um. And seen more of what they could have brought to the role. But John Favreau was great. Um, Tanny Newton was cool in what we could see of her. And and yeah, I feel like I feel like overall there wasn't anything really bad about the casting in this film whatsoever. Um, but for the characters that we got to see most of the way through, even Paul Bettany to an extent. I like Paul Bettany. I'm not sure. I haven't really come to terms with what I think of his character as as Voss in this film or how he portrays it. Because it was he, hard for me not to see. He was good. He was good. Paul Bettany. He wasn't bad, no, but like I couldn't not see Paul Bettany. I couldn't really like get caught up in the character of Vaz. Yeah, midway through he did a bunch of vision type stuff. Like he I think I, at I, one I point he did Voss. this thing, like the whole like hands touching but like fingers spread apart. It's like yeah, yeah that's, now, oh. and his one choke nail that he had was kind <laughs> of <laughs> Well Vision and... Vision does like to party, so <laughs> I, mean, I, did. I, I mean I love Paul Bettany's take on it because he, he I like this little thing they had where he was like a very laid back, casual business guy. He's head of the Crimson Dawn, this criminal network. And he's like, Oh, Tobias, my friend, come in. It's kind of like, he's there to like bait the, uh, unknowing victim and reel him in. And then he just stabs him right there. And I mean, who's going to drop like one of the worst Star Wars video games ever and mentioned Terrace Kasi. And I thought that was just, <laughs> just, thank you. That's awesome. I thought that was amazing. And just to show off, like what can Terrace Kasi be? And those like vibro blades he had were really badass. I will say this from a visual visual perspective, uh, his scars widening when he got angered was really yeah. cool. Like I thought that was That's a very correct, good yeah. way of like broadcasting what you were about to see next without necessarily exploring that with dialogue. I agree. It gave a really subtle alienness to the character to remind right. like the audience that, hey, they're humanoids, but in the Star Wars universe, most sentient beings are humanoids, but they're all still aliens. Right. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, no, so literally, yeah, I like there's literally there. no humans. It's in a galaxy far away from Earth. They're Corellians. They're native Corellians, but interesting. Yeah, guys, a bunch of nerds. Um, I'm gonna go and uh, I'm probably gonna agree with a lot with uh, Mocha about the okayness. You know, you've hit a lot of the points from talking about L3. Like, there's you know, and also kind of agree with more along the lines of kind of blew it of these characters. I just didn't care anything about. And, you know, even for that matter, you know, there's a lot of characters, like, I, I, I cared a, a bit about H, uh, K2SO, kind of more so than kind of the L3, but I at least like some of the moments that they gave him with her, and I like the fact that she's voiced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is absolutely amazing, and I think we definitely, I definitely mentioned that she kind of, I think she directed and, and starred in a, a TV show on Amazon Prime called Fleabag, and she's almost identical to that character, but, like, that show is a bit more R-rated than this one here. Um, yo, so, one, that one yo, line when she said, uh, it was like, what do you want? And she just screams equal rights. <laughs> I, I kind of <laughs> lost it on that one. Yeah, like that was wicked funny. So that, inti- so I love the fact that they're, they're doing the heist and they're, they all had like something to do kind of sort of, and everybody's kind of given a goal and she t- has this task and like, she liberates literally like freezes guy from removing a restraining bolt, which I think was very, very funny because that's another kind of callback from a movie that chronologically we're going to see a little bit later on. And so you then start seeing that, you know, <clears throat> she, re- they, he, re- she releases the restraining bolt and he was like, well, what are you supposed to do? And then that one bot like starts just releasing everybody else and just causes like this crazy mass hysteria. Um, so I thought that was kind of pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, that she's kind of like a hard ass version of Korg from Ragnarok, and she's actually <laughs> successful in a revolution. <laughs> well, I'll, Korg would have been really successful, cool. but just no one showed no up. No pamphlets. Yeah, yeah, I didn't print out enough pamphlets. Um, <laughs> L337. So I'm a big fan of droids in the Star Wars universe. I'm always excited to see which droid or droids appear in a new movie and what their personalities are like. But there's one concern that I have with droids over the course of Star Wars film history, and that's with uh, personality creep. So we've seen from in with the first um, introduction of droids in Star Wars, A New Hope, we're shown two things. One that not all like not all droids can communicate in any given language. Right. Um, And all droids function or exist based on what their primary functions are so like you have a, a droid like c3po um who is a protocol droid so the reason why you can communicate with others and has a personality programmed into him is because he has to be able to communicate with like different beings from all over the universe whereas you have repair droids and astromech droids who may have some personality built into them but um they you know like they can't communicate in uh, outside of just like a series of boops because they only need to communicate with with computer systems and their pilots um and with <clears> each star wars movie that we've seen we've seen more and more vibrant and bombastic personalities come out of the newly introduced droids. And there's a certain point where I wonder, where I wonder, like, I've always been worried that we're going to get to a point where droids are just human for the sake of being humans, but are also robots in terms of personality. And I feel like that's where we got with L337. Um, Even K2SO from Rogue One had a really bombastic personality, but that was explained, right? He was damaged in combat. And when they repaired him, there was like issues with his like personality programming and it made him be a bit more sassy than other droids but with l337 she's just like she's sentient for some reason or at least believes she has full sentience and like, believes in like rights for droids and things like this which it's it's all well and good and it was initially enough like take to bring out her character but it is does push things into or push it into the realm of this is just a human character 
that happens to be a robot because we need a robot in this movie rather than making like I don't know a droid. It should have, like, it should have been should a have more of a droid personality than a human personality in her. Yeah, like even even if you wanted to go towards the ro- the route of her being like more sassy and like bombastic, at least have some of that robotic essence to it. Whereas she just felt like a like a human character that was really interested in saving other droids. So yeah, let's talk about the plot and let's talk about kind of the universe building. I'm going to toss it over to Brylin and says, Brylin, like talk to me something about you know the plot and how things kind of worked for uh, Solo, a Star Wars film. Yeah, so when it comes to the plot of this movie, it is definitely very straightforward. It is a um, definitely kind of pay-by-numbers heist film that you see or like multiple heists going on. So you get to see Han Solo's like first four-way foray into being a smuggler with the hijacking of the train, which is a, a great action beat, and it's a lot of fun to be introduced to these characters. Uh, what I think elevates it a lot more is just a lot of these um, references, even though they can be kind of cheesy or heavy-handed, but kind of just paying homage to what came before, but also kind of being precursors for a lot of Star Wars stuff. Being a Star Wars fan since I was in the womb, pretty much. Um, I uh, I really loved every single moment. They like brought up something that kind of is like Han Solo kind of getting his whole equipment throughout this movie, whether it's Tobias taking apart the rifle and giving him the DL-44, or if it's um, the the mention of Terras Kasi, or um, the whole thing with uh, Tobias and Val being such strong personalities that I want to see a movie about how Tobias and Val met and fall in love now. I think that would be a fantastic Star Wars story to tell. It's definitely not for this movie, but it's something that could actually kind of lead us on towards this underworld uh, aspect of the Star Wars universe that could be its own thing. Um, and like, kind of like bringing in things like the Crimson Dawn, like also like, let's have a movie about like how, what happens with Kira and the Crimson Dawn after this movie and see how it leads to, maybe they have a run in with with the black sun and that's like the demise of the Crimson Dawn. I think that would be, uh, really interesting. Um, I think that's the biggest, uh, string of why I had so much fun with this, because this movie moves at a breakneck pace. I mean, you're in a car chase, like at least two minutes into the movie and you're just like, wow, this is an awesome car chase on Corellia. We've never seen Corellia before on film. So it's really cool to see that, uh, be brought into, uh, be brought into, uh, the, uh, the film universe um how han solo got his name a lot of people are going to gripe that that's dumb and everything and it does come off kind of cheesy but i think it's really neat to see like han is this character from nothing and the the, all these different moments in the movie kind of start to build out who is han solo as a character um i like seeing like the sabak games i wish they did more with the sabak games but i think it's really cool to see uh them sit down and like have that battle of wits over a poker table um and and they could have done a lot more with that um i thought um when it comes to the kessel run it's definitely not what i envisioned i thought of the kessel run more of just like very super fast uh 
travel through space and they made it this, like this big obstacle course uh and i mean probably my biggest gripe is this giant space squid they add to it that attacks them. and i'm like and i was like uh you don't really need that. That's kind of weird. It's visually cool to see a space squid get ripped up by this mal- maelstrom. I almost said it like Lando Maelstrom. <laughs> <laughs> this, like just to see this maelstrom just rip its skin off and its bones and everything and suck it into that void. But I think like that maelstrom being like the thing that kind of like um, takes this pristine ship that Lando loves and kind of makes it kind of beaten and kind of just a survivor ship that's kind of like what Han Solo is, is a survivor of moments and someone that's on there for his own interest uh, when he's early on as Han Solo. Um, that um, that the Maelstrom and like just finding a way to shoot the engines as fast as possible uh, to get out of there and like speed through this shortcut through the Kessel Run, which would, I thought that would have been a more impactful moment if you made it a little bit more simpler than what it was. Um and uh yeah the what's I gotta talk I gotta talk about the Kessel run. So um because literally what a year ago, two years ago when they announced this movie being made, I said they're gonna have to do the Kessel run and I think it's gonna be stupid. Uh and I I stand by that. I I saw the movie and it's still stupid. Um the squid thing was dumb. Um the fact that I actually did uh, the one thing I liked was the, how the Falcon disintegrated throughout the entire movie. Like it lost yeah. like the radar, you know, it lost the escape pod. It lost like parts yeah. of it that it got damaged. Like I was the landing. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was fine with that, that like it slowly became the ship that we all knew and loved. Cause like that ship is the best. Um, yeah. I just didn't, I didn't like that like he lied one about the Kessel run and about like, Oh, you have round down like that's stupid. <laughs> and it also, it also answered the question of whether Han Solo knows what a parsec is, which I always thought was dumb. I thought I, that I was- liked, I like that. They kept with that erroneous information that even Lando says like, there's no way to, finish the castle run more than 20 parsecs and then he's just like oh i can do it faster and uh he sticks but it's with not that faster just, it's shorter and it's and it's you know what it's it's um yeah and that's the whole thing is that i mean yeah the actual science fact is that's not how you measure that type of thing with a parsec it's right. a matter of but uh I, Han, I mean it's a matter of just like han solo is this guy that ran that did this Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. And you see like in, in a new hope, he's made it even less. It's like, we're going less than 12 now, but I'm right here. It's like, I, I made it in 12 Han parsecs. Not knowing whether he was a genius or an idiot. Like that was yeah. the great side of Han Solo that he was this weird in between of like, I don't know if he's on top of it or full of it. Like, and, and so the, the Kessel run, when you really analyze that, is the perfect microcosm of Han Solo as a character. And so seeing that play out was shenanigans. The other thing was that canonically, canonically, in canonically, 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 there we go. That's the pronunciation. Um, canonically, the, the big point was that he bent light around a black star or black hole, excuse me. Um, Black Star is a wonderful album. Um, well, That's great. 
Yeah, wonderful yes. group. Uh, check it out. Uh, Most Def Talib Walich. Ooh, check it out. Yes, uh, it, it was it was can, uh, canonically done by bending the light around a uh, black hole, and that's how he was accomplishing um, the same distance in less distance. And so well, we never got any of that information in the movies of right, how he did right. the So, but knowing, so knowing kind of that information going into it, the whole thing played out stupid where it ended up being like, Oh, a, a droid found a shortcut in the whole thing. Like, I don't know to me, it just did not play out that well. Like I would have loved to have seen some weird space bending, like almost like what they did in guardians Two, where they like, they really stress themselves <laughs> flying next to a black hole uh, to be able to accomplish the run in less distance than distance. Um, and it just didn't, it, it literally ended up becoming like, Hey, let's just kick the hyperdrive into like super hyperdrive. And then we got out with no problem. Like there was no extra feet. Realistically speaking, like you could just see the exit, you know, it was closing. It was like, you could see it. That was the only way out. Um, they just had to get the engine souped up to the speed that they wanted it to. And, and to me, that was just cheap. It, it visually looked nice, but like it was a cheap storytelling technique. Yeah. I mean, one other thing I think like Kessel Run's kind of lacking is just, uh, just kind of like the kineticism you need for it to feel fast. I think there were some really cool obstacle moments. Like I love like how he just slid the Millennium Falcon on that, um, that comet to like, Get just get so close to the ground that the uh, Tie Fighters uh, just don't know what to do anymore, and that he just busts the engines. I thought that was a fantastic moment. Um, the whole uh, super fuel that they have—I mean, it, it is the big MacGuffin here, and it's a simple MacGuffin. I was fine. With um, but yeah, I was fine with it. That—that's what it takes to break out of the gravity well of the maelstrom um one other thing i would say like i mean the big reveal here like we had in rogue one we had a big reveal of darth vader being in that and his badass uh scene at the end uh we have a big reveal that darth maul is ahead of the crimson dawn and i i could see where a lot of people if all they've ever seen is phantom menace they'll see darth maul with his robotic legs now and they're just like oh it's darth maul whatever uh but for me that was exciting because i have learned about a darth maul that is is a complex character that is uh kind of dealing with this underworld and has kind of like carved his own path throughout the star wars universe when it comes to star wars clone wars and rebels uh and it's uh it was really exciting and fun to see like oh this is what darth maul is doing at this moment of time i know what happens in the future from here i know what happened before that and it's cool that they have this little moment of darth maul and it fantastic uh to cast ray park again as the visual uh, look of darth maul but also to get the voice of darth maul from clone wars and rebels as his voice was fantastic as well there's nothing in this movie that gives you that significance and if you name drop some of these names you'll have no idea what it's talking what they're talking about um and you know bradley you mentioned a bunch of stuff today also but like you know it's one of the things in which the story in the plot itself is going to be very easy and it's a very and it's a story that we've kind of sort of already seen before in the star wars film in the franchise itself, uh, you have, you know, it's kind of like a heist film. They try to go somewhere. Oh, 
somebody has somebody's gonna kill them. Okay, so what do you have to do? We have to do a job for them. All right, let's gonna go. Let's go somewhere and let's try to steal something from this one place. And a robot at some point is gonna die, and then somebody's gonna get betrayed, and then some, like it's like a very much like you've seen this before. Um, and that's the one thing that I was kind of bummed about, you know, the plot itself. And I wanted them to change it up, but you know, L three and K two S O was almost the same exact sort of archetype or character in this movie, and it was kind of a bummer. Um, and you have these new, like, different kind of new characters that. I was really hoping to see something different. And I think majority of the time that yeah. I'm watching this movie, it just felt like I have already seen this movie before, whether it's yeah, not I a mean, or not. The thing is, I mean, the biggest difference between this. Yeah. I mean, if you compare this to rogue one, I mean, they're both heist films. They're both heist films for different reasons. Um, you're getting like kind of birth of the uh, resistance and, or the, the rebellion in rogue one. You're getting more of a smaller story here with Han Solo's just, kind of finding his place in the universe and building this friendship with Chewie. Uh, and um, the only difference is I was loving all the characters in this movie. I was loving the side characters, even if they're not, if they're there for just a brief amount of time. Whereas in Rogue One, I felt that it was very lifeless. There wasn't any energy to the movie. It was very, it was dark, but it you can still have energy and have a dark tale, dark, serious tale. And that movie does not come to life until that very end with Darth Vader is just going to town and you're just, Holy shit. This is the best star Wars geek out moment. I completely (laughs) am 180 on you on this one. I literally like everything you just said, just flip the movies. And that's what I believe except for the whole ending part. Cause I don't think that it had a very good ending. Um, For me, like the characters were much more urgent in Rogue One. Uh, They felt like they had an immediacy to them. Um, And they had somewhat of, they had anonymity, but like they also, they kind of mattered because of that. Um, Whereas Han Solo, like the whole plot of it, like we, we, we all know that Kira is either going to die or just be so bad that Han doesn't care for her anymore, right? Like, there's the, the they try to set up this whole romance. It's like, no, nah, dude, you're going to be with Princess Leia. Like, we know that. Ten years down the line, you are going to be with Princess Leia. So either something horrible is going to happen to Kira or she's going to be so bad that you literally don't care about her anymore. Like, s- you, you, I couldn't get into any of the side characters in uh, Solo because of that, because you know where they end up. Um, I think one of the magic parts of Rogue One is that you figured that everyone was going to die, but you thought, oh, maybe some of them will just like go underground and like, you know, do something else. No, no, no they, they all died. Uh, and that was amazing. Whereas with this movie, you were guaranteed that a lot of them were going to make it out just fine and you know where they ended up. So it was really hard to get into the, the, the whole interactions they had, the relationships that they formed right now, because you know where they end up later on. Yeah. I mean, it's just that, I mean, that whole, um, magnificent seven take on the characters in rogue one, it just never worked for me. And I don't want to make this about like Rogue One versus Hans uh, Solo, but you do have some comparisons to it. Well, the um, issue that I was like, and the, the comparison is, I was making was like the plots were the same. It like you're gonna care yeah. about the characters differently, you know. But it was a very similar plot. 
Yeah, it is definitely a very similar plot. And I think just the matter of these characters being kind of the roguish type of characters that, yeah, they're, they're, their motivations are all self-centered. It's all selfish and everything. And they're all like bringing their own personalities to it. That's what was lacking in rogue one was like, there was no personality to it except for Saw Gerrera's awkward ass. (laughs) But, um, but uh, this, I mean, this movie is just a lot more fun and it's a lot more entertaining because of that. And I'm would definitely watch this again before I watch rogue one again. Uh, Brother, no, I'm not disagreeing with you. You're going to have opinions. I'm going to have opinions also. I'm going to share it and see, you know, Mocha, what are your opinions about this, uh, about the plot and the world building? Yeah, so similarly, I feel like this movie was really predictable um, through and through. I also felt like it had some weird narrative points to it um, in terms of pacing. Uh, starting with the the aftermath of the um, the train heist scene, which is an awesome scene, really cool action, really exciting. And then the scene ends with with uh, Valbo and herself up, and they fly off and drop the coaxium into the mountain. And the scene then cuts immediately to them at their graves. And what's his name? Um, Tobias turning around and punching Han Solo in the face. And he's like, well, what was that for? And it was just strange to me that they, like, that everyone died, the mission failed, and they flew their plane for however long of a distance until they were free of Emphis Nest, landed it, got out, dug a grave for Rio, built a a tombstone for both of them. And then Han Solo like confronts Tobias for the first time and suddenly realizes that he's mad that he got his girlfriend killed. Like it was just weird pacing in terms of the narrative. I know that they were just trying to tell a story, but it just felt odd. Um, Also, it felt odd when Tobias leaves Han Solo on the beach and is like, uh, you guys help out Emphis Nest. Um, That's not my thing. I'm going to go to Tatooine and get this new job. And then he walks off the screen and then the very next scene is them talking to Voss and it's like five minutes later and Voss is like well come on out betrayer and Tobias walks in and I was like it was literally so five dumb. minutes like there was yeah. no build up there was no like there was also no like doubt in my mind I think or in anyone's mind that he wasn't going to come back as a, in a traitorous way um, so like there were just weird pacing issues like, not even pacing issues but just weird narrative deployments throughout the movie um, I think in terms of what it added to the world building I don't think it really added much to the universe that wasn't already there it did add enough like they did add a lot of excitement to some things that we didn't necessarily know a lot about before. Um, but I don't think it actually built on the universe too much. Um, Brian, it looks like you have a c- counterpoint. Um, I'm just going to say like it, it worked for me. So even though, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a fast paced movie. They do not rest to kind of dive into why is it, what may a, what a character may do or kind of like throw an unreliable moment to make you think, Oh, Tobias is good. He's cares about Han Solo or anything. I mean, when, I mean, the first thing they do, I mean, Tobias mentions it. I mean, it's hey, don't trust anybody, Han. If you're going to be in this lifestyle, you cannot trust anybody. And he tells them that's rule number one. And that's the, that's the big difference with Han and everybody else that gets into this smuggler outlaw lifestyle is that, and even Kira mentions it. And I really like this, that they mentioned this and bring it up with Han Solo is that you're a good man. You do care. You have a heart of, of caring about others, even though you don't want to show it. You do want to be this individual, this strong individual, this brash, arrogant person. But at the 
end of the day, you are going to care about doing the right thing, uh, even if it means that you lose money in a deal or that you get a bounty on your head. Uh, this is going to be who you are for the rest of your life. And when she they said revealed, all that? No, she said, you're a good man. And that's all <laughs> I need to yeah, actually like know that. what she I means. Like that. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, when they revealed Tobias, was I shocked? No, but I was like, yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. That's like Tobias has shown us true colors that at the end of the day, he's going to take whatever deals necessary. And that's why when people are bothered by he's turning around and doesn't have, doesn't feel pain, prolonged pain for losing Val or anything. It's at the end of the day. And Val was probably the same type of person. That's probably why they married one another was that they knew that at the end of the day, if anything happens to either of them, it's all about what's going to be the next deal. And you just do anything you put you have no moral code. It's everything is permissible at that time to uh, do what you want. And I think that works really well. And that's why I like the character Tobias that he is at one at the same time. He's a mentor for Han, but he's also uh, char- uh, the character that Han needs to watch out for the most because he's getting the closest to, but also uh, the character Han shouldn't become as well because Han does have that extra part of him of having a conscience, having a heart that's going to make him a better person in the long run. So I do want to make it clear that I don't necessarily have a problem from a story standpoint that Tobias betrayed them. It's just the like the narrative pacing of it and how it played out in terms of the screenplay that I, that it was just like really off-putting for me. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Kira too, because aside from just finding her to be a really bland female love interest, that was another weird pacing situation with the story where um, Han gets to uh, Voss's yacht and he's standing there and she taps him on the shoulder and she's like, hey, Han, it's me. And <laughs> like, I get that they were just jumping right into it, but it just felt weird. Like the way it happened, I was like, oh, this is a hallucination or someone's playing a trick on him or something like that. And then the, the movie, like the movie, just kind of rolled out on, and I was like, "Oh, so that's just it." She's like, she like grabs him out of nowhere, and then like they're part of the story now. It just felt weird in terms of like the the delivery of the story. They they also um, kept on saying like, "Oh, I, I've changed." Like Kira kept on being like, oh, "I'm not the person you left on Corellia. I'm not the person." But like she just was the same person until the very end. Like that didn't well, make any. There was no logical jump. It was it was completely just like no, no you're the same person you're the same person holy shit you're a totally different person and like that reveal you know there's there's good surprise reveals and then there's the reveals that are just like built up over time and you're like oh yeah I get it that's awesome they were like building that Kira should have been like a build too rather than like a surprise reveal that she was like part of the evil you know conglomeration. Um, before yeah, she knows Terrace Kasi. That's different. Which I'm pretty sure <laughs> her version of Terrace Kasi was just cape fighting. All she does is like <laughs> spin her cape twice over the guy's face, and he's like, "Ah, capes." <laughs> <laughs> cape is my biggest weakness. Um, he would not suit aside, well against the Wakanda uh, border tribes. <laughs> no, or Doctor Strange. Um, <laughs> Doctor Strange is the master of, of cape fighting. <laughs> Um, so aside from, from my issues there, I thought that the movie had a lot of really fun callbacks and Easter eggs. Um, a lot of them were really subtle and I appreciated it the second time going through picking up on some more of them. Um, my favorite one, my first uh, run through of this movie 
was when Han Solo is standing with his arm around Lando Calrissian looking at the beat up Millennium Falcon. And they have a quiet moment just staring at the ship. And Lando just goes, I hate you. And Han goes, <laughs> I know. And it was such a cool throwback yeah. to the I love you, I know scene from the original trilogy. Um, there were so many, like like I mentioned, they were really subtle. Rio, the, um, you know, the guy voiced by Jon Favreau, I think it's during the campfire scene. He mentioned something about how on his home world, um, like his people, no one roasts a Minoc better than his people. And That's- that was a cool little throwback because the Minocs are the flying back creatures that latch onto the um, the window of the Millennium Falcon when they're inside the worm in episode they eat the power five. cables. Yeah, they eat the power <laughs> cables. Those are Minox. So it was like like these really really deep deep cut like subtle references. Um, there was a uh, there was a, a Mandalorian suit of armor in Voss's um, chamber, was which is really dope. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that was a really cool looking one. Also, and I didn't catch it this time, but I heard that the idol from Temple of Doom. Is also in Voss's room. <laughs> no, that was the sugar Not... skull. It was it was more close to uh, Dia de la Muerta than like the uh, Indiana Jones. No, no, but I heard it was specifically like the Indiana Jones uh, like idol is somewhere in that room. I heard I heard that too, but it's like the skull wasn't enlarged. It was just it was just a, a crystal skull. Maybe it was the crystal skull from Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull because <laughs> they were aliens. No, but they were yeah. They had like the big. <laughs> back section i heard that one too and i thought it was stupid it probably is true but like it was dumb well that aside it, like the 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 call outs the references talking about or sing and bosk the reveal of darth maul like all these throwbacks and easter eggs and things like that my favorite easter egg was oh man what's his name we got to see that the white-faced white-headed like um mask-covered alien that rolls with saw Gerrera in rogue one we got or to see Gullet. that he was one of the aliens that yeah. were um, that were part of Emphis Ness' original like rebellious team. So it was cool that we saw ten years before Rogue One his pre-radicalized form. I think his name is like Endrion Two Tubes or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so it was really cool for me. Well, there's also there's also Weasel who he showed up um, yeah. previously Menace, at right? Job of the yeah in Phantom Menace. Was it a Phantom Menace? Yeah, it was yeah. in the uh, pod racing scene. Yeah, he was, yeah, he of, was been on the pod racing. He was, uh, what's that face? Uh, I don't remember. It was his, Watto. He was part of Watto's crowd. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this movie had, like, for its other, like, lacks, it had a lot of cool Easter eggs and fun throw, uh, like, throwbacks that I, I enjoyed. Um, and ultimately, I do want to make it clear that I did like this movie. I did enjoy watching it. I don't think it was bad. I just think it was okay overall compared to like any like you know other Star Wars movies and other movies that are coming out at the time. So like yes, it's predictable, but not to a point where it was a bad movie. Um, yeah, I had some issues with the narrative pacing, but I didn't think it was bad. Um, Would you rank this movie ahead of the three prequels? So a buddy of mine actually asked me that when I first told him that oh I don't I don't know like, it was an okay movie. And he was like, well, where'd you put it with the prequels? I would probably put this, um, put like Episode three. And then solo, and then yeah. and then yeah. Well, let's let's talk <laughs> I about would let's talk about conclusions ahead of the three Warren, prequels. Yeah, let's, let's do some conclusions. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. yeah. that's a good point. So, in conclusion, uh, so <laughs> I'm pumped. Uh, I think we have a lot of uh, nerds on this podcast. I'm not even sure why I'm even here today because I didn't watch any of the stuff. I did see Clone Wars, but I didn't see Rebels. But it's okay. Uh, so we have uh, we're on a bit of a divide. Seems like uh, everybody's right on this podcast except. Ryland, 
Uh, uh, but I'm <laughs> just kidding. Just like Han uh, Solo, my own man. Yeah, hey, there you go. And nothing, <laughs> wrong, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but yeah, so give me some lasting thoughts, Brylin, about Han Solo. Uh, why you would recommend people to watch this movie? Uh, in uh, if you had to kind of rate it with the uh, first six movies, where did you put this? Oh, with the first six. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I would say like, uh, yeah. So number one with a bullet always for me will be return of the Jedi. Uh, then I'll put empire and, uh, a a follow boy reference by the way. What's that? You'll be my number one with a bullet. No, I'm pretty sure that's in a <laughs> I mean, fallout boy song. Uh, is, but it was also a phrase before that. A common catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Relax. Um, the, dude, the I only time say, I've ever I mean, heard that is in Fallout Boy. I was like, "That's that's I'm amazing." Older than you, so <laughs> when I heard that Fallout Boy song, I was like, "Oh, they're doing that reference." <laughs> uh, so yeah, so like we definitely have the original trilogy that I always rank Jedi Empire and then A New Hope, um, and then you have the prequels. Uh, definitely, uh, Revenge of the Sith is the best of the prequels, and then Phantom Menace, and then Attack of the Clones. Solo, uh, if I'm not counting any of the other movies, Solo would be uh, much higher than the prequels, but still below A New Hope on that level. So it's definitely in the middle. But the cool thing is, I mean, this is probably the most fun Star Wars film ever made. It's got this fun excitement, energy, and adventure to it. And uh, I mean, you just have, you just fall in love with Han Solo again. And I mean, that's, I think that's very telling to just the strength of Alden Ehrenreich and the characters that they actually brought into this movie. And the, I mean, the big thing about this movie is it makes me want to see, it wants me to see more movies or read more stories about all these other characters that they introduce as well. And I think that's the big thing with it. I think, I mean, this is a little public service announcement. Uh, People of earth, um, you never have to side with popular opinion if you don't want to. So don't look at Rotten Tomatoes. Go Please out don't. and see this movie on your own. Yes. And make formulate your own opinion. Yes. Uh, don't read Twitter and people saying like, oh, it sucks because of one little thing. Uh, go and get the get the um, support this movie. Give it a, give it your hard earned dollars and see it and come to your own opinion about this film. Also, one thing I would just add is it's been a while since we've had a summer movie season where we've had three big movies come out one right after the other that are all fantastic and great to go see in the movies and have that movie going experience. So uh, big ups to the house of the mouse for providing a lot of these movies but also it is fun and fantastic to see that the summer movie season is starting off really strong and black are you counting black panther in that summer that movie? came out in february <laughs> it was snowing. Uh, i asked you that in person you, think you got upset <laughs> you gotta send me again so uh, uh mocha some final thoughts of uh would you recommend people to watch this movie in your ranking of on so- Solo, a Star Wars story with the first six Star Wars movies. So let me get right into the rankings. I'll start with that. Um, this uh, Star Wars, a solo, solo, a Star Wars story is pretty low on my overall ranking list. It goes Empire Strikes Back, Force Awakens, A New Hope, 
Force Rogue Awakens One. is not part of the original series. Oh, you want to just talk about the original series? Yes. <laughs> well, wait, how, why are we uh, to be about, fair, wait, that's, that's kind of an impossible question. Warren, no, that's yeah. kind of a shenanigans question. They're all Star Wars. Shenanigans. It's not shenanigans. Answer the question. So what, why are we counting the prequels, though, if we're not going to count the, any of the other ones? Okay. So that means I can't even consider. Okay. No, 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 Boca. You can so totally. The reason consider. why is because I'm talking about the chronological order of it. That's why in these six, those six of now seven are. So you got to include Rogue One because Rogue One takes place in between Solo and A New Hope. Mm, Face. Sure. <laughs> sure, you can do that too. But just answer the question. <laughs> okay, right. fine. So, so here's Revenge of the Sith. Here's Rogue One. Here's Solo. Yeah. So Empire Strikes Back. Um, A New Hope. Rogue One. The Last Jedi. Revenge of the Sith. Return of the Jedi, then Solo, followed by Attack of the Clones and and the Phantom Menace, um, or rather the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Um, Solo is pretty low down there on the, on my list. However, I do I do want to say that it, I don't think it was a bad film, uh, not by any stretch. I liked it. It was entertaining and it was very very okay, um, but not too much more than that, in my opinion. Um, I did have fun watching it, and I think it's a great intro film for new or younger Star Wars, fa- Star Wars fans to jump into the franchise with. Um, it's a romp. It's action-heavy. Um, there's some like cleverness and fun to it. Um, so I think it's a good jumping-on point. Um, but ultimately, it's pretty low on, on the rankings for me. Um, give me more Chewie. Make, give me Chewie, so, uh, uh, Star Wars Chewy story, and let Solo show Star up Wars somewhere. Story. I like that he was like, speaking <laughs> Chewie. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that, like... Funny. Shout out to this movie for showing off like how much of a horrifying badass Chewbacca is. Like he is a warrior. He's always been a warrior. And seeing him covered in a mud, guy's arms off. <laughs> yeah, like he rips the guy's arms off in this film. He like he like football tackles Han Solo through like a metal pipe. He was so cool in this movie. He he like took he picked the guy up in the air and slammed him right on his head. That dude definitely died of, of multiple <laughs> neck fractures. Um, Chewie was great in this movie. If anything, go see it for Chewie and make more movies that are just about Chewie with That's subtitles. Uh, Blew it. Why do you think uh, people should watch this movie and how would you rank the first six Star Wars movies with Solo? Well, because you cut out, on, I don't understand what you're saying by six, so I'm going to rank all of them. But uh, <laughs> me and Mocha are going to kind of agree on a lot of this. Um, I heard a good one from a friend saying this was the greatest like average movie you'll ever watch. And I think I agree with that. Like I, I had a smile on the entire movie and this was utterly forgettable. Like I, you know, the whole time I was like, that's cool. That's cool. I get that. I get that. And at the end of it, I walked out. I'm like, I don't remember a single thing that happened. Like there was no cool moments. There was just like it. it I just had a fun time. And then just, I, I, it's like it's like going to doing go karts. Like you, you have a fun time. <laughs> you know, like you have a fun time what? doing it. But like, I'm never gonna go to my friends. And be like, oh, dude, I did go karts. It's like, sure, <laughs> sure. You're 30 years old. You drive a car to work every okay. single day. Like, who cares? Who cares about go karts? And that was the solo story for me. It was a go karts movie. Um, so I heard like. I seriously, I am to Star Wars, at least at some points in my life, as to what Mocha is to Marvel. Like, I watched all six movies in one day, and we'd spend 20 hours on Wikipedia, just Wikipediaing 
every little bit of Star Wars. Like I, I knew that universe inside and out at some points in my life. And I wasn't, ex- I wasn't excited to see this movie. And this movie didn't disappoint on disappointing me. Like it, like I walked out of it be like, I don't, I still don't care. I still, the thesis of this movie did not matter. It was the most meh movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Like it was, yeah, it was better than attack of the clones. It's probably better than phantom menace. Cause that one scene where he goes, well, this is pod racing. That was, that was where like that <laughs> oh, dropped, geez. that dropped that entire movie below solo. But like no one asked for solo and it didn't deliver on something we didn't ask for. I asked for solo, but it did deliver. Yeah, I I <laughs> like. I mean, I, I did like solo. I'm oh, gonna, I'll disagree no. with you there. But. I, I save, how save your money issues. and go see Avengers again. <laughs> no, I wonder. Stop plugging and not saving your money if you go see Avengers again. <laughs> you're still money. giving it to the house of mouse, but you're giving it to a better movie. Guys, I wonder how much of our non Brylin based takes on this film have to do with the fact that there were like what three or four different directors throughout the entire process of this film like reaching its completion. Um, there were two. Like th- there were some. Well, I think there were three. I've uh, never. I would know because there was one was a, count as one. Yeah, and was, then there was Rob. Yeah, Ford. it was two. Yeah, and <laughs> there was leaked like some of the scenes that Lord and Miller um, filmed, and it sounds like that movie that fit came out. It would have been more wacky hijinks and more humor to it than it already had in this movie. Interesting. I was wondering about that because, you know, one of the things that stood out in this movie was the fact that a lot of the camera angles and camera usage was really just like bland and just like regular still shots that weren't too dynamic, except for the scene where Lando runs into the battle to um, tear apart L337's corpse. And like that, that uh, he runs out and you get this really cool like video game cutscene where it's like a shaky camera that's following him as he's like ducking below things and things are exploding around him and he slides into L337. And I was like, whoa, where did this come from? And then nothing else like it happened again, camera work wise, throughout the movie. So I thought for a minute that maybe that was one of the scenes that were originally done. But if you were saying that, I think they shot, they were more wacky than probably not. I think they shot 80% of it uh, over again. Like I think Ron Howard literally reshot 80% of this movie. He had to reshoot 70% of it to get a director credit. Yeah. And so I think it was 80 in total. The, The whole character of Dryden Voss didn't exist in the original shoot. He did. It was a different actor, though. Hey, yeah, it was what also the, CGI. Was it? it was Omar oh. from The Wire. Oh, right. right, right. Oh, shit. Right. So, so they, they, like, they complete Chuck, everything that. that is Paul Bettany is completely new. Yep. Interesting. So I would say uh, I had a good, I had a good time. I had fun with this movie. Um, I was kind of underwhelmed, but at the same time, it wasn't a bad movie. Um, much like Mocha was talking about, like I would definitely suggest people to go watch this movie because it was fun. Much like Bradley was talking about, I enjoyed it. I like some of the characterizations that they made of it. I like a lot of the visuals. Even I know you guys shat on the uh, Kessel Run, but I actually liked that component. It was pretty cool to see the Millennium Falcon do some stuff um, that was just kind of interesting and entertaining. You can see more of the, you, you said this before, like you see more of the personality because the Millennium Falcon started out as brand new and it was awesome on the outside as well as the inside. And now if you fast forward to what it looks now, it looks absolutely terrible because that's like Han's version of it. So I think that's pretty cool of the uh, the passing of the torch there. And I still think with this next film, the Millennium Falcon is going to get destroyed. 
it better happen because it has to happen. And I really hope it happens at one point. Yes, it has to happen. Oh. You have to you have to kill everything that's old. Just get rid of everybody. Chewie's also going to die. No, I will not listen to Kylo Ren. Chewie's going to die. They really hate this ship. Yeah. Chewie's going to die. And I thought for Salt. the longest, the Millennium Falcon is going to like split apart. From trying to do something, Chewie's gonna die while piloting the, the money. No, Chewie's gonna die because he's crushed by a moon, like he does no, in the comics, oh, and that's that the coolest thing count. I've ever heard in my entire life. That's not canonical anymore. Yeah, but it should happen because that's amazing. That's he stays no off. He stays yes, off the is. destruction <laughs> of a planet by fucking <laughs> push pressing a moon so that his friends can get off the planet on the other side of it. Like that's the yeah. best thing ever. That's Han Solo's son that kills him. Han Solo has a son? His uh his other son from a different canonical universe. We don't know that stuff. So <laughs> I would rank uh so starting from bottom to top. It was tough because I have two number bottoms. Yeah. Number That's bottoms. so weird. Three people just did top to bottom. <laughs> Why are you suddenly gonna do bottom to top? Uh what did Brylin say earlier? Don't listen to everybody. Listen. Have your own opinion, also, the fact and that so that's Warren what I'm going to do. Two bottom bitches is kind of amazing. <laughs> I know, bro. <laughs> um, so both bottom bitches, because I hate both of these movies, was uh, episode one and two. Those are trash, and those are going to stay down. But which one is worse for you? Which one is at the very one. bottom? After that, so also pretty terrible, but manageable. Um, after that, I would say Solo, Star Wars movie, but there's a huge gap in between there. Uh, and then I would say a new hope, um, empire, sorry, a new hope, return of the Jedi empire and rogue one. Oh, where's revenge of the Sith on there? That was number three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause you said your bottom, the bottom your two, two bottles shitty. And yeah. then you said solo no, episode three. A, no, no, no. Episode, yeah. Okay. Episode three. Yeah. So All the right. bottom, the bottom bitches, then episode three, huge gap. Solo, then New Hope, Return, Empire, Rogue One. And with that, we are the Down and Front Podcast. Thanks for hanging out and checking in for a full review of Solo, a Star Wars story. Brylon, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find me defending my ground and standing my ground and defending my honor on this movie on Twitter. At Brylon, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. I'll also be editing a cut of this movie where Ron Howard is narrating it in a quirky way for Mike Blewett. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll also post many movie reviews on Instagram from time to time at uh, I am Bryland. I'm also the host of the Games Cast. It'll be coming back very soon, sooner than you expect it, at uh, twitch.tv slash podcast. And I think that's uh, everything that I do. And Mocha, where can we find more of your work? Yeah, you can find me um, writing out tweets that are less than 280 parsecs long at Twitter at MochaMikeLI, uh, as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, it's not at MochaMike because the person who has that username got sucked into a black hole skin first, and now I can't get access to it. Um, so instead, you'll find me at MochaMikeLI. You can also find me on Instagram at MochaMike, where I post some of my photography work, and at Medium at MochaMike where I write longer form reviews of the stuff we talk about here. Uh, and the Shredder blew it. Where can you find more of your work and what show do you have coming up soon? Uh, we got nothing good. It's all terrible. Um, we're stupid and we're a butt joke. 
So, anyways, but you can also <laughs> you can also check us out at uh, Jesse Rand a solo story on livejasmine.com. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Rand's love life a solo story. <laughs> <laughs> Again, go to livejasmine.com and then type in Jesse Rand a solo story. <laughs> it will not disappoint. Uh, man. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, that's all I got. I had something for Brown, but I forgot what you said, so <laughs> the witty narration of Ron Howard. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I just, oh yeah, that's totally it. I just wish they had one little part where um, Han Solo just goes, "I like those odds," and the narrator goes, "He shouldn't have." And like, and then, <laughs> yeah. Like or Han Solo at the end said, "I'm ready for a new start." And then they <laughs> zoom in on the back of the Millennium Falcon. Just ain't a start. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and we are the Down and Front Podcast, uh, official podcast of downandfrontpodcast.com. Definitely go there, check out more of our work. You know, we can definitely email us. We have a new email, the crew at downandfrontpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Reddit, just about any and every sort of social media site as well. Just check us out. It's under downandfrontpodcast.com along with kind of the YouTube. If you definitely want to help us out, uh, continue to help us with like and like watching videos and watching movies and kind of putting out more and more information as we do right now and all of our recordings become a patron it's pretty cool you can hang out with us you can join us on discord where we're talking about other like newer movies that's happened we have uh, early episodes for our patrons as well as kind of like bonus stuff that's only going to be for patrons so check that out uh, patreon.com slash down in front podcast and we will say thank you for everybody so much and of course, when you join the Down in Front podcast, make sure you watch the movie, you grab a drink, you join the pod. Good night. <laughs>